Hello and welcome to A Little Perspective with Will Sigmund. Today I'm joined by kind of a family member by marriage and one of my longtime dear friends, Amy Fulcher. Hey, Amy. Hey, Will. How are you doing? I'm good. And Danny Bogue. Hey, Danny. Hey, what's going on, man? Now, who's who's who? Am I the family member? Are we going to switch roles today? <laughs> uh, you know, I wish. Like, I feel like sometimes you are. We uh, we've known each other what fourteen years now, something like that, which is wild. Uh, and I've known Will I. since he was a little tiny baby. I know, uh, right? My sister, sister used, used to, to be, yeah. <laughs> babysit me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Amy is the the producer, writer, blogger. Of As the Bunny Hops. Amy, you want to tell a little bit about what the website does and how you came to have a passion for pop culture. And, and, and by the way, guys, we're getting into Disney today. These are two of my most like well-versed Disney friends that I can think of. Granted, I have a lot of them, but Danny and Amy kind of have some personal experiences with them. So Amy, you want to tell us a little bit about your blog first? Well, um, like a lot of people, I started a website because it seemed like everybody was starting one. And it was literally all over the place, like so many of them were back in the day. And about five, 2015, yeah, so six years ago now, um, I was starting to like dip my toes into entertainment and um, blogging about that a little bit and got invited on my first press trip to a Disney movie junket, and that was for Avengers Age of Ultron. Fell in love with that process, and somehow over the last six years, <laughs> left all of that, this and that behind, and have been almost exclusively either talking about theme parks, movies, entertainment, pop culture, or a that I like to think of myself as pretty creative, and I get to do a lot of fun projects working with studios making crafts and recipes and stuff for their movies, which is really my jam. So um, it just kind of evolved from that, from, you know, little hobby, little passion into something that became almost my full-time job. I remember um, we see each other pretty much, except for this past year and one other year in my whole life that we did not come uh, to our typical family, traditional Thanksgiving. Normally we see each other at least during that time every year. And I remember being fascinated I think, what, about three years ago and realizing what you did. I don't think I ever really realized it. And then I realized how much we had in common. And it's been uh, it's been really fun talking to you about some of our mutual interests in the group chats and, and elsewhere. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm always down to talk about fun pop culture stuff in Disney. You know that. Oh, yeah. And Danny, you have all kinds of different tentacles uh, in Disney. And, you know, you and I got to know each other through Apple Retail. But you kind of, like, you have experience before and after. You're like a boomerang, you know, coming around all over North Carolina and Florida. So maybe give us a little bit about your background and um, what you kind of focus on when it comes to Disney stuff. 
Yeah. So, gosh, I feel like, like just like Amy said, there's so many um, people today that grew up as Disney kids or like, you know, back in the day we were all doing X, Y, Z. I grew up as your standard issue 90s baby. Um, I, I was obsessed with Aladdin and all the Renaissance Disney movies. Um, and my family, uh, they were also Disney people. And we would go down to Orlando every two or three years. It was pretty frequent. That would be our um, standard issue uh, vacation. And What's odd is I feel like I did it for so many years and I just became, I was just like, oh, this is the thing that everyone does. This is normal. Like, it's not like a specific thing that one could be interested in. And and I remember, gosh, I must have been 13, 12, something like that. We had gone on our typical trip to Disney and I get back home and I was like, oh man, what a great vacation. I loved that. I wish I could like keep doing it <laughs> because, you know, vacations are fun. And so then that was the time that Google video search had launched not youtube i'm really dating myself but google video search like they were like look how cool it is not only could you google for your recipes but you can google for videos and i was like well i just came back from walt disney world so i know what i'm gonna do google's walt disney world and then the nostalgia bug hit me because i found like old hotel like resort tv channels that people had recorded and uploaded to the internet and I fell down the rabbit hole hard. That's when it really clicked. And I was like, okay, well, now there's forums and there's well before Twitter. Like there were just different communities that I could join and podcasts I could listen to. Um, so I became a real big Disney nerd then. And years later, when I was a freshman in college, I did the Disney College program. Like I'm sure you probably, I, I'm sure so many people have heard of people that have done it or they've probably done it themselves. Well, count me amongst those. And so I did the college program. Obviously, I loved it being a Disney nerd, and um, I did it for about six months until I was granted the opportunity to join what was at the time called the Dream Squad, which was a, I, I won't go into too much detail, but there was a sweepstakes, the Year of a Million Dreams, and you would get all these different prizes and stuff. So I was fortunate enough to join the team that kind of shepherded all of that, and I did that for another six months. So I was a Disney cast member for a year. Uh, but then I moved away. I went back to Raleigh where I met you and um, kind of hung out in Raleigh for a bit. And for years and years and years, people kept asking me, are you going to move back to Orlando? I'm like, no way, man. That's that's ridiculous. I love Disney, but like, I don't need to live there. Uh, we now cut to 2021 where I am now engaged to a beautiful fiance uh, living in Orlando <laughs> and we have no plans of leaving. Um, so, yeah, I also run a Disney podcast. Well. I say I run a Disney podcast, but it's been a minute since it's posted an episode. So <laughs> thanks for getting me back into the swing of things with this podcast, Will. Um, Absolutely. Which you, both of you have guested on before. So uh, this is really like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Disney podcasting, I guess. It is all connected. Wait, <laughs> Danny, I'm excited you mentioned the, the Year of a Million Dreams because I was, I know for a fact that I was visiting at Disney World when that was happening. And you don't want to understand how obsessed I was with doing whatever was going to trip it to make somebody say, you're going to spend the night in the castle tonight. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. So I, uh, I have awarded the castle night before. Um, for those that don't know, one of the prizes in that big giveaway, uh, you could you had the chance of winning a one night stay inside of Cinderella's castle in this giant dream suite and they like, decked it out. Like they spent so much money on making it into an actual hotel room. Um, and the way you won, you couldn't pay, you couldn't enter a prize. The only way you would play the game is by being in the right place at the right time. 
So that could mean like I walked through a turnstile and I was the, you know, 500th person to walk through it, or I was sitting in this seat at this time and it was all purely random. They really designed it in a way that it couldn't be gamed. Um, so gosh, I'm trying to think of the one that I awarded when I turned, it was my 19th birthday and I award, uh, they gave me the castle. They're like, it's your birthday. Go, you know, this one's for you. The way the whole system worked is we would get like a manila envelope or I guess like a, a folded envelope. Um, and it, on the front, there was a sticker that says, do not open until November 2nd at 9.45 a.m. And then we would all sit around in our break room looking at the folder going like, all right, it's 9.43. And just like waiting and <laughs> really anticipating, like, I wonder what this will be. And we open it up. And then there's another sheet of paper that says your prize will be this. And then your uh, the people you'll give it to will be X, Y or Z. So one of the things was at one man's dream, there is this area where you could um push buttons to like play around with animatronics and see how animatronics work kind of like a museum exhibit type of thing the button to push the tiki bird animatronic was our trigger so we would stand like 15 feet away and like look at our clocks and go 10 37 10 9 8 7 6. all right 10 38 great and then we have to stand and wait until someone pushes the proverbial button and if they do they might win provided that they're eligible in taxes and all that. But yeah, it was, it was this whole system and we had people that tried to um, follow us around. There was a YouTube video posted of, at the time of people calling us blueberries because we wore blue shirts, which we found very upsetting. <laughs> and whenever we would give out prizes, we would wear a white vest over the blue shirt. And then they called us frosted blueberries, which is somehow worse. <laughs> <laughs> so you are you are amongst friends because I mean I, I remember those days vividly. Well, I remember watching a video where somebody triggered it by drinking out of a particular water fountain. Mm-hmm. And I normally yeah. think water fountains are super disgusting, and I never go near them. I think every <laughs> time I saw one, I stopped and took a drink, whether I wanted it or not, just in case. <laughs> Needless to say, it never did anything other than give me cholera. <laughs> I was going to say that maybe it's just the past year of a pandemic and COVID, but I'm over here like, ooh, to touching water fountains and different no, when, <laughs> buttons. I'm good, man. I would never in a million years do that now. But back in the, <laughs> we were young. We didn't know. So foolish. I think you're muted, Will. Thanks, um, thank you uh, for that excellent background. So normally I start off uh, these episodes with kind of backtracking a little bit. Danny, you did a fantastic job of preliminarily kind of doing that for me. So thank you. Um, so he has even, a plan and we just jump all over it. <laughs> that is fine. That is completely fine. Um, so, and, and, and I'm totally going to uh, put my... Uh, answer in here as well, but maybe Amy, we can start with you. If you want to kind of rewind all the way back to however long, um, toddler or childhood, whatever, you know, what do you feel like kind of gave you that inspiration specifically for Disney that really had you hooked in a way that you hadn't really been before and obviously continue to be for decades afterward. 
Well, I, I mean, I remember going to Disney World for the first time when I was five years old and going through the monorail, through the contemporary and thinking that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And like, literally, I remember it was a few years ago, I actually stayed in the contemporary for the first time. And I was like, I have made it. I've stayed in, you know, my five-year-old dream hotel, which, you know, at this point, not my dream hotel anymore, but that's another story. But, you know, like I have those memories. I still remember like my souvenir from that trip was my little plush Winnie the Pooh that was wearing a bib, not a shirt. But, um, but to, you know, beyond that, the thing that I just kind of sticks out in my head is what kind of made me like, like lifelong Disney fan was the little mermaid. When I, I mean, I liked Disney. I loved going to the parks. I liked watching the movies. They had that kind of like, iffy period with the movies they were putting out um we can all agree on it you don't like the black cauldron it was fine i mean i had like the (laughs) clamshell vhs whatever but you know there there was just like but like you know when they when they hit the little mermaid that was when it just kind of flipped for me and i was like there's something there that's magic and I, i i know there's a lot of purists who are like you know leave the parks the way they are when they throw the little mermaid in there i'm down for it you know, I am ready to go see Tiana and see the Splash Mountain change. You know, I, I like the changes. I know everybody's got their opinion on that. Personally, I'm like, make everything better. I'm fine with that. Make it less racist. I'm totally cool with that. Um, but <laughs> Hot take. Yeah, hot take. Yeah, like, less, less racism. I'm good with it. Um, but, yeah, but like I said, Little Mermaid really for me was just kind of where it changed. And I was just like, they're doing good stuff. I like it. I want to dive like into everything they're doing now. Awesome. So Danny, I know you kind of, you know, you, you mentioned Aladdin and you, you went back a little bit in your history. Um, but what do you feel like was that spark moment for you as well? You know, I know I had brought up the whole idea of me looking at uh, like videos and like getting into nostalgia. Um, and sure, nostalgia is fun. Like I, I love looking back at old family photos of going to Disney World and whatever, and that's great. But I think what really sold it for me was when I was around that same age, when I was a teenager, is when I was becoming like really into technology, um, computers, video games, video, video editing, audio, audio editing, all that stuff. And I was just really kind of like you are when you're a teenager, you're a sponge, you're just soaking up so much new um, interests and knowledge and whatever. And one of the things that really impressed me about Disney World and Disney parks in general was how do any of these things exist? (laughs) How even if you want to take a look at something like a like a dark ride, a slow moving dark ride, you look around and go, can you believe the logistics, the design, the thought, the effort to every little thing has got to be considered to not only entertain people, but safely entertain people and um, in an optimized fashion to make sure that you can see thousands of people an hour. Oh, and by the way, it's a company, so they have to make money off of this. And my brain just started going through all the different um, facets of designing a theme park. And I think that was the moment where I went, oh, I'm going to be into this for a really long time. (laughs) I don't know how long, but it's not going to be a short little like obsession I have for a bit. And that's to this day, that's kind of really what I still find so fascinating. I do. I love the creative side. Yeah, because I think I I love art of any kind. So I love seeing I love judging the parks based off of their artistic merit. But it's also really fun and exciting to go. 
okay, but can you pull the curtain back? Can I see? I would love to see how you did it. And I know that when I was a cast member, a lot of people were saying like, oh, I could never be a cast member. I could never go work at Disney because then I'll see how the sausage gets made. I'm like, but that's really cool. <laughs> like, I get the idea that people want to maintain whatever um, illusion that Disney wants to give them because they do a really good job at it. Uh, but at the same time, I also just think it's so impressive to consider the teams of people that come together to make some of this, well, forgive me, magic happen. <laughs> That's great. So my journey to being a fan is a little bit different than you guys. Um, so I visited Disney when I was seven years old for the first time. And uh, so Amy and Danny, you both know uh, my cousin Hannah, Danny, from you working with her and kind of, you know, being friends with her. And Amy, obviously, you've known her as long as I have because she comes to Thanksgiving every year. Um, and so we went on our first trip uh, to Disney World when, like I said, I was seven, she was four. And I have vivid memories of being fascinated uh, with two things in particular. One was at the time, this this would have been 93, 4, I guess 94. Yeah, somewhere around there. Um, and there was, I remember going to Epcot. And at the time, and one of you guys might know where this was, but uh, you walked in and you like, you could jump up to, you were basically like in front of a green screen. And you could jump up to like affect things on the television that you were looking at. Danny, you're not in your head. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know what you're talking about. I'm struggling to remember if it is Journey into Imagination or if it's in Interventions, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Whatever it was, it was mind blowing to me at the time. And I haven't had a chance to really explain on, on this show so far, uh, but if you've listened to my other show slice you will have heard about how uh my dad you know as as i've kind of mentioned in the trailer and uh you know part of the impetus of the show is i'm a little person and i don't always have the physical advantages as everybody else and so therefore um fortunately uh, my dad was able to foresee technology as being uh, an equalizer for me in the future and did everything he, he could do to allow me to experience those things, especially as an only child um, at a young age through, you know, adulthood. And so um, I, you know, I had a computer pretty early on and this, that, and the other, but the point is I remember looking at that thing and I'm like, holy cow, like, how does it know that I'm doing this? And like I said, this was the early 90s. So, you know, it that was pretty impressive technology for that point in time. I, I guess consumer wise, it was at least. And so um, that really impressed in my mind. And then the other thing is, is something a little bit more comedic is, uh, do you guys remember the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, ride there? May it rest in it? peace. Yeah. Did you guys ever ride it? W which one? The the play area or the um, 
the theater the one. Three, oh, the theater one? Yeah, Honey, yeah. I Shrunk the Audience. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, I was terrified as a child. Uh, yeah, so, you, Danny, you and Hannah are about the same age-ish, mm-hmm. um, within a few months of each other. And so, um, she, like I said, she was four at the time when we went there. And I was old enough. And as, like, I, I, I'm boy, I guess I was just more into, you know, at whatever stigmas you want to put on early 90s. Don't judge me. But, like, I was more into, like, the boy kind of, like, scaring and monsters and whatever. So, like, those kind of things didn't really faze me. But Hannah, being so young at the time, um, regardless of her being a girl or not, like, she just really hadn't been exposed to a whole lot of things. And pretty much, like, everything to her was real. And so those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with the – the ride or the attraction, I guess it, you, you would sit down in the theater, you would wear 3d glasses and, uh, it would be a quote 4d experience, if you will, where you were, uh, being interacted with what was happening on the screen in your seat. And there were, uh, at first the, the thing that, that got her while we were sitting there, uh, was that I remember, there was a scene where the mice like got loose or something (laughs) and it would like, it would puff air on your legs underneath the chair and that freaked her out. And so she was already riled up. And then there was a point in time that the, uh, that there was like a snake that got out and it would come towards you, uh, the audience, uh, if you were wearing the 3d or glasses and, they got so close and it was so real to her that she just, she started sobbing in the middle of the ride. And I thought it was just so hilarious. And it's one of the funniest memories I have of us growing up. Um, that's all to say that was one of my first experiences with Disney. I didn't go back to Disney until I got married after that point. And so, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, uh, let's see, we went, we got married in 2013. I think we went to Disney in 2015, early 2015. So it was like a 20 year gap between the time I went the first time and then the time I went the second time. So lots of things had changed. But one thing I would like to kind of point out is until I got to be a freshman in college I think I felt like, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, where you don't really know where you're going in life. You know, you kind of have an interest in this, you kind of have an interest in that, and but nothing's like solidified for you in a way that your other peers have. And I went to a very rigorous private school with a very small class. And so to me, I really felt that at least on the outside, that pressure that, oh, you know, probably 80% of my class knows what they're going to do. They're going to be like very prestigious and they're going to go on and and do blah, 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 blah. I didn't really have that. And so uh, I had, like I said, interest in technology. So I went and got my first Mac, which was a MacBook Pro. And, uh, shout out to Kevin Eastlick who helped me with this in <laughs> mid 2007, about probably five months before I started working at the store. 
Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. This was mid-2006. This was about a year before I started working for the store. But anyway, I remember opening this computer and being immersed in something for the first time and being excited and passionate about a particular topic in a way that I had yearned to be for a long time. And I say that to say, as I got older, the fascination with Apple grew from just, hey, this is a neat machine that they make, to, whoa, they like are an entire force in the business world, and this is how they do this, that, and the other. And you just, as you get older, you become more aware of all of the... Uh, all of the, you know, pieces of the pie. And as you, as you say, Danny, um, you know, kind of seeing what, the, how the sausage is made. And at that point, they were the, really the first company that I really appreciated and started to follow. And once again, too, like something I never was really interested in when I was younger, but I, I became interested in when I got older is like the history of things that affect me. Like, American history or Disney history or Apple history or whatever. So basically, as I got older and went through college and kind of understood the ability to love a company, not just for what they make and produce, but for how they operate, I had a renewed sense of love for Disney in that aspect. And particularly working for Apple, and, and Danny, you can attest to this too, but Apple Retail sets a very high standard and bar for customer service. And whenever I would go elsewhere and experience that, it would make an impression on me. And so to be able to see, and once again, 2015 was after I left Apple Retail, but the impression that Disney left on me as an adult versus a child were two completely different things, but both just as magical. And so ever since then, for the past six years or so, I have been just as fascinated with Disney as a company, as a theme park, as a corporation, as a behemoth and basically every kind of pop culture you can wrap your head around by the time 2020 came around. Um, as I have been with Apple. And so these days, I enjoy following the company and what they do just as much as the things that they produce. It's funny you say like that it had been so long for you in between going as a kid and then years and years later when you were, uh, after you had been married, um, because there's, I think when as an adult, I tell people like, oh, yeah, like I'm I have a Disney podcast or like I'm I'm, I'm super into Disney World. I go all the time, um, especially back when I lived in Raleigh and I told people I routinely went to Disney World. People would look at you and be like, you're an adult and you like all that stuff. The thing that my kid loves to watch on Disney Plus or whatever. Um, and don't get me wrong. There is. I mean, it's Disney, of course, like they market their things to sell toys to kids like that. That's not news. Um, but when you get the different perspective of, okay, well now I'm going as an adult. And like you pointed out, Will, there's like a, um, 
a value set that I can be interested in, in interested in now, not just, hey, look, it's cartoon characters. It's also what does this company stand for and what are their um, values? Like, what are they what's the culture of the company and how they create products and what have you? So compare that to, hey, I'm an adult going to Disney World for the first time and I'm going to get interested in the technology. Uh, I'm going to be interested in the idea that, hey, there's actually adult things to do here, be it just um, uh, restaurants or uh, excursions that you can do, like different like water sports or stuff. Like every time that I bring a new adult friend to Disney World, they go, oh, oh okay, I get it now. <laughs> uh, and that's just so fascinating that you didn't have a gradual build up to that like I did. And maybe I think Amy, like you did as well, but more so like hard cut, like going cold turkey from in it just because I'm a kid and I like, you know, teasing my cousin all the way up to, well, I'm an adult. I'm like, there's a lot more to like here. What's funny to me is that I definitely grew, I, you know, like I said, I went when I was five and then probably again when I was 10. I remember going a couple of times during spring break when I was in college. So, you know, I've definitely had that kind of like lifelong, you know, experience of going actually much more regularly as an adult. But what's so funny to me is that I can go to a park now and I can enjoy it the exact same way I did as a kid. Or I can go to like, for example, an Epcot food and wine and enjoy it in a completely different way as a completely adult experience and have just as much fun. You know, I, I, I'm still very capable of doing a very childlike visit to Disney and enjoying that or drinking my way around the world at Epcot. Either one, I enjoy a lot, you know, and they're both perfectly valid, good, makes me happy experiences that I can have there. It is just fascinating to me how if you keep your mind open for long enough, how you can experience the same thing in so many, like such a different way and appreciate things in such a different way. And it's unfortunate that there are folks out there who, you know, will say, Oh, you know, it's for kids and you childless millennials better get out of here with, with, you know, (laughs) with visiting here, blah, 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 blah. But like, there is really something to be enjoyed by so many people. And I mean, the land and the space and everything is so ginormous. It, uh, I mean, even this past year, literally right before COVID hit, uh, we went on a cruise followed by a stay at Disney. And I think our stay ended on March 2nd of 2020. So oh like my gosh. Yeah, we got back in the nick of time. Jeez. And it was literally the coldest I've ever felt in my life in Florida. And there was a frost warning that night. And and I say that because we took the uh the boat ride from where we were staying on property, which was the first time we had stayed on property, um, the Port Orleans uh, resort, um, to Disney Springs. I was shivering. I mean it, I think it was in the thirties. And Isn't that just a fascinating like little nugget to be like, wow, normally when I'm here, I'm about yes. to collapse from a heat stroke, but now I'm wearing a jacket and it's not even enough. And if you know me well enough, I'm the guy that wears shorts year round and like I'm always hot. 
So it was it was a very bizarre experience, but but yeah, so it was like right before everything hit the fan, and um, uh, it there. But as I said, just, there's so much to be enjoyed. You can't even do everything really in one visit. Um, and almost seriously, it almost takes living there, Danny, like you do, to really kind of utilize it in you know its full capacity. And even then, I'm sure you find yourself. Being like, oh, should we do this or this? Uh, because we only have this much time. Do you, do you find yourself being that way? Yeah, I mean, I've so I've lived in Orlando for six years now. I oh gosh, I guess I'm a I just celebrated six years, and my fiance she's lived here for fourteen years. Oh wow! Um, and there's plenty of things where she's been like, I've never even been aware that Disney World had insert thing here, like either a different resort or she's just said, Oh, I've never been to this resort before. I've never had a desire or been told that I should go explore a, you know, a hotel. Um, but even for me too, like I'm not sure how much of that is just, there's so much to do, but also I have my favorites and I've got my happy places that I like to just go hang out. And like, you know, it's like, it's like, and if you live in any other city, you've got your regular bar, you've got your regular restaurant. Like, Oh, I'm just craving this Italian food at this local restaurant. I just got to go eat there. For us, it's kind of like, you know, I could really go for Mr. Kamal's seasoned fries oh at the backside of Animal Kingdom where we can just sit down with a beer and like look at the, <laughs> the tree of life. And I know how privileged of a sentence yeah. that is. So I, I apologize for any Disney fans that don't live in Orlando. Um, but yeah, there's a uh, there's definitely a um, an abundance of riches <laughs> in living in Orlando. Well, and not only that, they're constantly adding new things. Yeah. And I mean, these so days especially. Even if you had theoretically done it all, you don't have that much longer before there's something new to do. Oh, yeah. I've actually, I've, I've considered this a lot as of late because I'll talk to my grandma, who was one of the arbiters of getting me into Disney, and she'll constantly be like, well, what new things do they have? And I'm trying to think through her lens, which is like, do they have a new ride? Is there a new attraction a new hotel and for years and years and years i'm like "Mm, you come down every year so within the span of 12 months not a ton but for locals i think disney is starting to realize you know building new rides is turns out pretty expensive (laughs) so in while they'll continue to do that they're also trying to figure out creative ways of saying you know, we've got a lot of locals. There's a lot of people in the Central Florida area or sometimes even a little further than Central Florida of people that come here a lot and we don't want them just seeing the same uh, ride over and over again. So they're trying to find creative ways to entice those people to come back and, of course, spend money. <laughs> but that's been it's been to our benefit because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I can ride Big Thunder Mountain a whole lot, but I would also really enjoy it if they gave me new snacks or whatever. And I feel like every month there's a new Instagrammable snack or something at at least one of the parks. Well, I still remember like one of my favorite memories is when the the trip, I was at a conference where we stayed at the contemporary um, and I actually came in early and they didn't have my hotel room. So I got to stay at the grand Floridian too. So I was like knocking out two bucket list hotels at once was a very nice thing. But also I being on the monorail was really nice because literally every single night I would go over to Trader Sam's or actually, I think, uh, I think the patios got a different name if I'm not. I think so. But I can't remember, I, I can't remember either, but the, the patio outside of Trader Sam's 
I was go I would get on the monorail every night after the conference if I wasn't going to a park and go there and order sticky wings and a spiky pineapple and I would do it during the fireworks because they sync the audio from the fireworks and that was just this like moment that I you know this magical little thing that was like my favorite memory from that whole trip and I did it every mm-hmm. single night and I think that's like the best part of it all is when you have that like I love this so much I'm going to do it five times while I'm here. <laughs> See, and now you're tempting me to go get my car keys and go drive over to the Polynesian. Although they, Trader Sam's has unfortunately not been open in over a year. So this is one of the few moments in which I can be just as sad as everyone else listening. <laughs> because it's not an option for anyone. Gee, so live here or the, not. The, the it makes you feel so much better, Danny. Sticky wings and a spiky pineapple. When they do the, uh, when you get a shot of the, what I can't remember the rum, the like, was it 121? Whatever the. Yeah, yeah. Get a, like a floater. Yeah, get the floater. Oh. It's like <laughs> perfect. So taking a step back, I, you know, I think a lot of people think the theme park when they think of Disney, right? They think of Disney World, they think of Disneyland. You know, we kind of spent the first good bit of this talking about uh, those aspects. But like I mentioned before, one of the things that I love about Disney is just as much as Apple, following them as a company and what they're doing and the decisions that they're making, you know, especially as an adult and uh, somebody who's a little bit more aware of the, once again, the sausage behind the, the, what's the phrase? Sausage. How the sausage gets made. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Uh, How the sausage gets made. Um, there are Which lots. sounds upsetting, by the way. So I'm sorry <laughs> if we're okay. going to be repeating that, that terminology because okay. it sounds Me scary. Too. We're, Me we're, too. We're talking about peeking behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. We can peek behind the curtain. There we go. We okay. can see the wizard. All right. Um, so behind the curtain. One of the things that... Well, before we move on from the, from the theme park, but an aspect of the theme park that I love is speaking of behind the curtain is just the customer service of, of Disney, um, you know, as we kind of backtrack into different properties and things that they uh, they have acquired over the years. But just, you know, Magic Kingdom itself, watching documentaries and, like, all of the different things that uh, Disney does to make sure that you don't even realize what's being done is fascinating to me. Um, and so that kind of goes on beyond the theme parks, right? So that infuses itself in the movies that they make, particularly uh, when they when they merged and uh, I guess partnered with Pixar, uh, which kind of brought Apple and Disney, you know, two of my favorite companies together, and they made they made like the first 3D movie, the animated movie, Toy Story, they made it seem easy, right? They make, they make things seem easy so that you can enjoy them, but they're not easy when you really peel back that first layer. So what are some things about Disney other than the theme parks that keep you interested? You know, not all of us can live in Orlando and just go whenever we want. So uh, maybe this is more of a question for Amy. 
Danny, I'm just I'm just messing with you. There's <laughs> you've had plenty of you've had plenty of you know time to live away from Disney. But what what are the things that keep you interested and keep you going? You know, we have a we have a Disney chat where we talk about all kinds of things. Like Disney owns so much IP these days. Um, so what are what are some things that keep you excited and interested, like on a day to day basis outside of the theme park? You know, let's bring it full circle. Talk about Apple again. You know, one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do is go to the Pixar campus. So I have been in the Steve Jobs building on the campus and gotten that like behind the scenes tour, which is it's just like the coolest place in the world. And but I've also done um, I've taken part in their press days. Um, for Coco and now they're doing them virtually. Um, so I've done it for uh, when they, they do it uh, when it's not the one where they have all the talent from the movie come in, but the one before that, when it's the animators and the story supervisors and people like that um, who are telling you actually how they made the movie um, did that for Coco and then got to do it. Um, well, I actually, this is under embargo. When's this show going? <laughs> Cause I just did the one for Luca. Um, which I am like ridiculously excited about. And you get to see all these little moments. And I, I, like Danny was talking about whether or not, you know, some people don't want to know how things happen. They just want to see it and have that experience be the magic on its own. If you're a nerd at heart, like I think we all are, that getting to see how the magic is made is just as cool. And it doesn't take away from the magic when it's happening. To me, that is the magic. Right. You know what I mean? I still have this vivid memory of when I was at um, the long lead um, press day for Coco, where they talked about how they basically had to make this whole new technology to light the candles because there was like some ridiculously, like maybe a million candles. I could be like way under or way over for that. But, you know, there were so many candles in that movie that to have a realistic flame flickering on each candle in it, they had to create this technology that was literally just for candles. And then you get to watch them like layer it on top of each other. And so see what it looks like with, with it and without it. And it's just amazing. So you'll see there's something very similar to that in Luca when it comes to the waves and how they produce the waves and how when the characters splash down, what the splash patterns look like. And just seeing the like the behind the scenes of how they created that and all the layers that go into that is just it's so freaking cool. And I just, you know, you can't, it, to me, it makes me appreciate everything that goes into it that much more. Well, so, I mean, those details, I never knew that about the candles. And now that you say it, I go, well, that makes sense that that's not necessarily an easy thing. I think what's so interesting about those small details like that is those are things that so many other companies or studios would look at and go, eh. How much time is it going to take? How much money is it going to take? How many people? Eh, we're we're good. I mean, what? Can you make a candle? Yes, but it won't look realistic and it won't actually convince them. Uh, can you make a candle though? Yeah. Okay, fine. Just do it. <laughs> like, There's so many companies that would just cut the corner and say, it's good enough. It's It's a kid's movie. Fine. Just ship it. Let's just go for it. Whereas in that example, Pixar, and I think the same thing can extend to other Disney properties as well. They go, well, but it's not good enough. Like if we really want to um, convince the audience of whatever emotion we're trying to make them feel, 
they might not be able to like the audience might not be able to explain oh well see that candle over there doesn't look like it has the appropriate that's not something that they'll see but they're gonna feel it and pixar and disney um and marvel and all these other properties that they have these creators understand that hey even though the audience won't necessarily be able to explain why they don't feel a certain way we know that it is worth whatever investment to i don't know make a new snow engine for frozen because i know that was another thing that it's all elemental stuff like is this like earth wind and fire yeah, but it really it really it, i mean well then you're just going back into yeah Fro- frozen the last one was about the elements <laughs> so, very, very true so they were like Good let's point. take this very literally um it's just one of those things where they're they're all nerds enough too that they care enough about it that they're going to take the time and they're going to make it right. And like, I, I know I'm, I'm sure Disney animation, you know, in Burbank does it just like Pixar does too. I just, I just have experienced it more hands-on um, at Pixar where they literally from the very earliest stages, they'll have, you know, they'll do the like live screenings for everybody who works there. And it's literally open. If I'm, I don't quote me on this, but I'm almost positive. It's like literally open to everybody who works there from the person who is like working in the kitchen to, you know, the person who's in charge. Um, And they all go in and everybody gets to have feedback and they have no problem scrapping something. You know, other studios I think might go like, this isn't working, but we spent a lot of time on it. So we'll make this tiny little tweak and go with it. (laughs) They, they They could have spent a year on something and been like, you know what? It's not working. It's gone. You know, we're gonna have to revisit this. And they do that on a regular basis of just going in and looking at it, revamping, re, you know, reanalyzing how things are working and seeing what they need to do, the tweaks they need to make. That's they're that's why I mean, they that's why you, when you watch their movies, you always see the babies listed at the end in the credits, <laughs> and there's like a really ridiculously long list, and those are all the babies, the production babies. Those are all the ones who were born while they were making the film. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that's a little. If you haven't noticed that before yet, um, Disney does it too. But Pixar, um, they'll ha- they always have a production babies screen in the credits. That's cool. I didn't know that. Um, so one thing uh, that sticks out to me as far as um, you know Pixar and Disney and these you know different modes of storytelling. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. I don't know what I was going to say. Um, you, I had a thought. Hold on. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Okay. Make a footnote. Sorry. So, what you two just said reminds me of an episode that I've recorded but haven't released yet. It's, it's coming soon uh, i think it's going to be the first week of april but at any rate um how disney parallels apple in a lot of ways and like apple's philosophies and things like that and if you are any type of a minuscule apple fan you'll know their ad here to the crazy ones and they you know the Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the blah, 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 blah. They're the ones that basically, they say, that push society forward, right? And they push the boundaries and the envelope so that others can follow. And 
the candle example is a great example. I think of rewinding back to Monsters, Inc. And I don't know, you know, that movie came out in 2001, I think. I think so. Um, and so I don't remember how far after that Pixar uh, animators describing how difficult it was to get Mike's, not Mike's, um, Sully's hair to look real and natural, right? But but when they did it, it became the standard and it became the impetus of 3D animation and making it look enjoyable and real and and and, and furthermore in the in the same uh, episode that we talked about Apple and Steve Jobs and and et cetera et cetera, we talk about how people make decisions with the limbic part of their brain as opposed to the logical part of their brain. And so, Danny, you hit it right on the head when you said somebody who's watching the movie might not be able to express in words why they love what they're seeing or why they love what they just saw, but they feel it. And those types of things, the the, the feeling... That's the limbic part of the brain. Those people that feel those emotions and reactions to things like that, they're going to be the ones that go and tell their family and their friends and whoever else, you have to go see this movie because of X, Y, Z. Or, um, you know, they're still watching the same movie 20 years from now because it invokes some kind of emotion inside of them. And... Disney man, they they really in a lot of ways they've unlocked the the formula for that for uh, at least their their main IPs. The word that comes to mind is priceless. Like back to that example of like, well, I'm I'm going to be a finance manager. I'm going to you know analyze the the cost benefit analysis of creating a new snow system or whatever. Like, sure, there is ways to quantify that, but when it comes to feelings, like you're pointing out, Will, like, I don't know that you can put a number on it, right? Like, I I sobbed like a baby in Coco, <laughs> and and I'm not sure, like, I probably paid like $15 for a ticket, but like, whatever, like, the the value that I got out of that, I don't know, man, like, that, it, I feel it's so hard to even put a number on it because... It moved me emotionally so much. I don't. I don't want to know what's going on with somebody who didn't sob like a baby at Coco. Personally, <laughs> um, that that was what it was. I, I always that that movie has a very special place in my heart for a lot of reasons. Oh, um, just it, not the least of which is like just a solidly amazing movie. But I, I just remember when I was watching that movie. Like I said, I got to do. I got to visit the Pixar campus for it, which was amazing. I got to go to the premiere for it, which was amazing. And um, I remember I was literally sitting in the front row at the El Capitan um, in Hollywood at the world premiere of Coco. And I'm sitting there watching it. And it gets to that point where I'm like, this is the part that's supposed to make me cry. And I'm not crying. Ha ha, I got you. (laughs) And then I realized no, that was only the part that was going to get the really sensitive people to cry. There's another one. And then I'm like literally sobbing like a baby in the middle of like all the people who made the movie and everybody, everybody all dressed up. I had packed tissues because I'm not a full, it's Pixar movie. I'm literally like passing tissues, like three rows of people around me. It was just so freaking cool. But um, 
Well, one of my favorite memories from that too is we got to when we got to interview um, Lee Unkrich, the director. Somebody, um, I, I asked a question that tied into this. Somebody else just straight up, she was like, why do you always want to make us cry? Because, you know, he also directed Toy Story 3. So he, he you know, <laughs> I, know. He, I mean, come on. He wants to make you right. cry. But he, but he was like, he's like, it's not that I want to make you cry. He's like, I want to make you feel. So it ties mm-hmm. right back into it. He's like, it's, it's not about crying. It's about feeling. All that's all we're trying to do. We want you to feel something. And I would think nobody does it better. Because, yeah, definitely make everybody feel something. <laughs> <laughs> Crying's just the uh, the symptom of the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I will get um, just a little, little Easter egg. I think I might have talked to you guys about this before in our chat. But, um, yeah, in that movie, I, I, I'd mentioned um, when I when I was getting to interview him, I, I made the comment. I was like, you know, I, I you know, said, you do a really good job of making people cry. Oh, he did up, too. Yeah, see, I, he likes people cry. And I was like, um, I was like, you know, I was like, I was watching, I was watching the movie last night and it was great. And I was like, boy, this is getting to me. Okay. This is pretty sad. Okay. I'm fine. And then you threw up the image at the end where it's all the pictures popping up. Hmm. Um, so it was the Alfreda and I'm sure I pronounced that horribly wrong. Uh, um, Alfreda, I, what, <laughs> the day of the dead, um, memorial. Yeah. I think it's Alfreda. Alfreda. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but they had done that, and apparently they had actually made one during the production process. They actually made one on the Pixar campus, and everybody mm-hmm. everybody could bring in like a picture of their family member or somebody who was important to them. See, I'm getting chills just talking about it. I just thought this was the coolest part. Stop. Uh, <laughs> so everybody was able to bring in like pictures of people who were important to them and things like that, and everybody loved that so much that they decided, well, we should put one in the movie too. So that's why all the pictures popped up. And that was, um, and there's a picture of Steve Jobs in there. And there's a picture of Walt Disney in there. And there's a picture of Don Rickles in there because that was right around the time he had passed away. Plus it's all the people who made the movie got to add a picture of somebody who was important to them in there. So watch it again, watch that part. And you're going to be like, yeah, I'm a baby. I'm crying all over again. (laughs) But it was just, we got to move on from Pixar I'm because, sorry. like, yeah. I, I'm I don't have Kleenex available. <laughs> like, for real, uh, no. It, in all seriousness, it. I mean, look, we could probably the three of us. We could probably spend five, six plus more hours talking about all the little ins and outs of Disney. And literally, Danny has a podcast, literally talking about <laughs> that for hours and hours. Um, but to kind of like maybe backtrack even farther, uh, as we look towards the future and we see how the past year with the pandemic has affected Disney, we see how, let, let's take 2019 and 2020 as the, you know, the latest, uh, transaction that Disney has done. Um, between starting Disney Plus and opening, you know, new parts of their theme parks and blah, 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 and and acquiring, you know, I know it's not that recent, but acquiring uh, IP like Marvel and Fox, 20th Century Fox uh, Media or whatever they did. I mean, they're, they're a huge conglomerate now. Where do you see... Disney going 
in the future. And, you know, as we kind of come to a, a close here, um, and, and I would love to have you guys back on again, by the way. I'm sure people would love to talk about Disney or hear to talk, us talk about Disney again. But, um, you know, we're here in about almost halfway through, uh, a third of the way through uh, 2021 right now. Where do you see Disney really putting uh, their tokens, if you will, their their chips on the table um, going forward? Because I feel like they've really, really, really focused a lot on the media aspect, which ended up being a blessing in disguise for them. Um, I mean, could they have launched Disney Plus at a better time? Uh, you know, is, and so... And, and that service, that streaming service has become more and more, uh, quote, worth it, I guess you could say, in, in a lot of people's opinions, as uh, as they've gotten more original content and this, that, and the other. Um, what do you see Disney doing going forward? Whether how Whatever aspect you want to talk about, and what gets you excited about those things? I am excited to get back into a movie theater. I've oh got to, I've got to say it is the the pandemic has been a blessing and a curse for me. Um, you know, I if I could go back in time and unpandemic the world, obviously I would do that because the blessings <laughs> were not worth <laughs> all the loss from it. But that said, I got so many opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise as far as um when you do what I do and you're working in entertainment, I live in a second tier market. Um, so just all of the digital screeners I was able to watch and all of the virtual press junkets that I was able to participate in were amazing. And I'm very grateful for that. But I know that the talent that are making movies, the behind the scenes people who are making movies, everybody also wants to get back into a movie theater, but they want it to be safe to do so. I was pretty gutted about the Black Widow news. Mm. Um, I mean, it's still going to be in a theater, so you, pe- people are going to still have that chance. But it's when when you have the option of watching something digitally or in a theater, it's not the same. And I was pretty gutted about Luca going Disney Plus. And I, I mean, I'm grateful that people are going to be able to watch that for free because I know it's not cheap to buy something on Premier Access. But so I'm just really looking forward to figuring out, along with everybody else, where the entertainment piece of this pie is going. I mean, that I think Disney Plus has been a blessing for everybody. The fact that you could safely watch new movies has been really nice for a lot of people and a lot of families. But um, there's nothing that beats that um, experience of sitting in a movie theater. So I'm, I'm hoping we're getting back to that soon. But I'm also, again, glad we had the options of something like WandaVision or now Falcon and the Winter Soldier which were never planned to be in theaters has proven that Disney can make a big budget epic and they're not going to skimp on it. And dude, WandaVision. I feel like that was like, so it was so well made. And PS episode four, my favorite episode of the season. Um, and like, I felt like I was watching a miniature movie I mean, if you had told me, if you had pulled me in a room and said, hey, watch 15 minutes of this clip, I would have told you, oh, that was a movie that came out. 
because that's how high the production quality is. They have raised, I mean, we're talking what this is their really like their second major IP for Disney Plus original content, right? Mandalorian and now this. I mean, Mandalorian was great too, but I almost feel like Marvel fan base is a little bit bigger than Star Wars, probably. Um, and the quality of special effects and the filming and I mean, everything was just as fun to watch, in my opinion, as the show itself. Um, I kept thinking to myself, whoa, they have probably scared some of the other streaming services by having this show out there. Um, absolutely phenomenal. I, I just, I hope they keep creating content like that. So, well, I mean, it was, it was a movie that was made into a television series. I mean, there was, there was no, nothing typical about it. There was no, it, the, the budget for WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier are typical Marvel movie, theatrical release movie budgets that, mm-hmm. but it was just created in a, you know, in a serialized way. So it's, I, I, I don't think the money is there for that to be a thing outside of Marvel probably. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly excited to see some other studios try. (laughs) Yeah. It's Amy, you had said something, um, like about you're fascinated about like watching the way the cards fall and the way these companies react. I don't think Disney even knows what their next strategy is. I think they've of course got ideas on how they want to move forward, but like you bring up black widow being a, um, uh, a hybrid release uh, and for those that don't know on july is it fourth seventh seventh sounds first, right but don't quote me something like the first week of july is when black widow comes out um and it will be day and date in theaters or on disney plus for 30 dollars um and i think that is disney going i don't know what will people feel comfortable like like it's hard to predict what a month from now, two months from now, four months from now, six months from now, I don't think they've got a firm grip on July. So they're just kind of hedging their bets and saying, look, we'll just give it to you either way. If you want to go in a theater, we'd love for you to. If you want to go watch it at home, give us 30 bucks. We're good with that too. Notice they didn't say anything about other Marvel movies or other big budget movies beyond July. Cause I think they are really trying to look at data and understand, well, what would the best option be for us? I think, when you look at the budgets of these shows and movies, I think ideally they'd want the theater experience. And I'm a theater purist. I can't wait to get my butt back in a movie theater seat. Like it is, I just got vaccinated recently. So I'm very excited for the relative near future of making this happen. Um, so that's my own personal hope. But if you look at the statements from Bob Chapik, the current Disney CEO, he has said streaming is the, the entire business's future point blank like he has been very explicit in saying that um i don't know how much of the business (laughs) it's going to be um just because again it seems like everyone not just disney but warner brothers and netflix and all these other streaming services i think they're all starting to learn a little bit due to covid um but i personally would love for a hybrid model at least for marvel where there are big blockbusters that you're like hey you got to go to the theater it's gonna be two and a half hours it's gonna be what i what i compare it to is like i'm a comics fan so i remember those comic series where it'd be like 
did you hear about the Avengers Age of Ultron? It's this big, like, eight-issue thing, and there's these big splash pages where there's just heroes everywhere. It's epic. Those are the movies in my book. Moving forward, the shows like a WandaVision, which I adored, um, and the Falcon and the, the Winter Soldier, where they're like, okay, well, let's stretch the story out. We'll still give you the same, like you were pointing out, the same budget and the same production values, but now we've got time. Now, instead of two and a half to three hours at most, we've got six hours of content where we can really chew on that bone and get to the, you know, WandaVision is, I mean, spoilers, WandaVision is a show about grief, like, <laughs> which is a pretty deep conversation. And I think it deserves six hours of um, exploration in the same way. We're only two episodes into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it looks like we're dealing with PTSD. And it also looks like the story that I'm really intrigued by race relations in America. What would it be like for, you know, a potential black Captain America in the United States in 2021? That would be something to really you know dig into and there's a lot of interesting conversation to have there i'm not sure two hours gives those stories enough justice so maybe they don't maybe each episode doesn't have to be top to bottom action action punch kick whatever explosions but instead sure we'll have an action scene just to like make sure everyone's excited but also maybe we have a really tense scene about um I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> so maybe I'll just skip that. But instead, a quieter scene with two or three people in a room talking that really has some thought-provoking ideas. So as far as Disney's next moves, I I think that's where I see them going, where they're saying Black Widow is going to be this big action, exciting story, whereas maybe the shows give us the opportunity to explore these characters in a more uh, nuanced fashion. Yeah, I am putting it out there. I Black Widow, I am kind of, since it's going to Disney Plus, I'm thinking that I might get a screener for it. And I know it's not going to do it justice, but if I get to see it early, I'll deal with seeing it on my tiny television and, you know, suffer, <laughs> suffer through. But um, and, and I don't know that's going to happen. I'm just hoping. But I'm putting it out there now. I am seeing Eternals in a freaking movie theater. Oh, yeah. Easy. I don't care. I, I, I have heard the rumor that they delivered that movie and Kevin Feige was just like what the heck you know like this is like like ridiculous and like the best movie we've ever made i don't know if that's true or not but that he like he was blown away and i'm thinking okay we got something here and i'm trying i'm still trying to wrap my head around the director of nomadland doing Eternals. Uh, chloe Zhao. <laughs> yeah like i love her i just they seem so very different that you know i'm like wow this is going to be really interesting so i'm like I- I- hopefully i'm back in the theater before then that that's my like ride or die Eternals is happening in a theater. I ain't watching that on my television. <laughs> <laughs> so these kind of conversations, uh, I'm having to hold my tongue because I, I want to keep talking about, you know, Disney Plus and movies and things. But that is the whole, like, concept behind why I wanted to do an episode, at least one, on Disney. And how they're similar to Apple in a lot of ways. There's just there's so many different facets of the company. And there is an underlying like philosophy kind of. And I think there's a lot of things that were turned on their head during the pandemic that I 
you know, you kind of like sit back as a consumer and you kind of eat your popcorn and you see if, you know, things crash and burn or they succeed, right? Um, and so it was interesting to see what, what worked and what didn't work. And furthermore, like, you know, specifically, Black Widow was supposed to come out May of last year, yes? Yes. We're talking about a year. Marvel loves to open up a summer season. Right. And so we're talking about, you know, a year and change later. You can tell, like, Disney didn't want to relent on that IP. Oh, they could have dropped that movie in August if they felt like it. Months into the pandemic, they could have been like, eh, whatever, November, just it's going to be on Disney Plus, 30 bucks. They could even say, pay us 60 bucks, and they know people would pay it. Yeah. They just, I think Kevin Feige was in probably shouting matches <laughs> inside boardrooms somewhere in Southern California, or, or I guess in his house through like <laughs> Zoom or FaceTime or something. Uh-huh. Um, just shouting with people saying, no, I am sticking to it. We want this in a theater. I think because Kevin Feige really cares about the creativity of it all. But I also think there's plenty of finance managers that are like, we will make more money <laughs> if we put it in a theater. Because I'm not sure if you've checked box office numbers, but Avengers Endgame brought in the most money any movie's ever made. So like, well, until I'm recently. sure. Well, yeah, until recently. <laughs> But uh, that's cheating, though. We don't have to go down that path. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that, not, that's not a fair fight. <laughs> yeah, that that would be opening Pandora's box. Oh. I will see myself. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed talking with you guys, and you know, we have so many good friends in our in our chat that just really love all kinds of different Disney stuff, and. I don't know who's listening to this, if they are a huge Disney fan or if they're a passerby. Uh, And, you know, if you are a passerby, I hope that we've kind of maybe gleaned a little bit of uh, behind the curtains. I won't use the sausage analogy (laughs) again. Um, uh, Stuff for you. But, I mean, there's just so many different aspects of of the company it's 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 truly fascinating and it's no wonder that there are companies literally devoted to speculating on companies like disney and apple and you know you know etc daily like i mean truly daily um and we're talking multiple of them the things that they do like the split decisions that they might make in a boardroom or wherever they keep people employed. And that's kind of like really fascinating in and of itself to think about in my, you know, when I really like to think about it, like I work for a great company, but like, I don't know that a decision that we would make would just have like echoes and echoes and echoes and echoes and echoes on different blog sites and, and Twitter and things like that. Uh, that's, you know, it's truly, it's, it's a lot to wrap your head around. Um, with that being said, I think we're really going to need another episode at some point to have you guys <laughs> back on the show. The sequel. Uh, totally. And I'm so glad that we got to cover the topics that we did cover, uh, tonight. And I really appreciate you guys coming on. You know, when I think about Disney stuff these days, you are two of the first people that come to my mind and uh, two people that I really kind of go to 
whenever I need advice or have to express an opinion about anything from the theme park to the uh, to the media that they they produce. But um, I really appreciate your time and and thank you guys for coming on. Um, do you, we can kind of end Amy and and Dan and then Danny uh, with with people uh, where they can find you and um, you know how they might be able to follow you and you know get a little bit more insight on your opinions and all things Disney. Well, you can I make it easy. You can find me literally everywhere at as the bunny hops. Um, all the places, all the things, the dot com. It's all the same, unless you go on LinkedIn. But if you find me on LinkedIn, I'm not going to be there and find you back. So. <laughs> <laughs> the dot com. I've never heard of it uh, phrased that way. And I love yeah, that. That's funny. <laughs> um, and you know what? Uh, I think it's the same for me, too. Uh, at Average Dis Nerd. Um, that's the podcast name that I run. Well, I say that I run. I haven't posted since last summer. But, you know, Will... You you brought me back into the game, and 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 maybe this will inspire me to uh to get posting again. But you can follow me on Twitter. That's usually where I'm most active. I have an Instagram and a dot com, um, <laughs> <laughs> but Twitter is where you'll find most of my silly rants. Probably about the fact that the rant you'll find the most is about why does Disney Plus release their shows at 3 a.m. Eastern time, and I'm very upset about that. Oh, so gosh. if that interests you, uh, <laughs> give me a follow. So I can attest that. Both Danny and if you really like start to love Danny and uh, follow his his Twitter account and you eventually, um, you know, you might be interested in his life and his fiance and this, that and the other. I love coming across the tweets that you guys like. It it, it just it fills it fills my timeline with joy uh, from from all kinds of different facets and uh, accounts that you know I wouldn't normally follow. So I highly recommend that. And Amy, like you're just you're so good at uh, appealing to people of all ages. And you know I love I love your opinions and um, your outlook, but you also just you have all kinds of different fun things on your on your blog for different yeah, you know, all different ages to do and have fun and, and just, just like so much passion there. And so once again, I appreciate you guys coming on. It was great talking to you. And there's no question we will need to do another one of these to have a little bit more perspective of Disney. Thank you for having us. This has been uh Again, coming back out into the game, this has been a good way to do it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. This was fun.